Welcome, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us online. Great to be together with you. I'm, I'm grateful that although we can't gather together here in person in Waukesha and in Pewaukee, we can come together like this online. And, and it's so good to be together, to, to be the church and celebrate God uh, together. And so here we are, one church in hundreds of locations. Last weekend, over 2,000, we had over 2,000 people join us online, turning living rooms into churches. Some of you right now watching on your phone, on your, on your laptop, on your television. Maybe this is your first time joining us. My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm just so glad that you have joined us. Last weekend, we had an excellent uh, guest speaker named Ray McElroy gave a very powerful message. If you missed it, you're going to want to go back to our website and watch that. Ray kicked off a new series for us called The Most Interesting Man in the World. But today, I want to hit the pause button on that series. And uh, we'll come back to it. We'll resume it next uh, weekend. Because today, I want to talk with you about the crisis in our country and our world caused by the coronavirus and how we respond to it. As I thought about the events of the last couple of weeks, one idea that kept coming up in my head again and again is this idea of how quickly the world can change. How quickly the world can change. I thought about some of the words that have become part of our vocabulary in recent weeks like COVID-19, coronavirus, social distancing, self-quarantine. I mean, these Words, I mean, weren't even on our radar, and now all of us know exactly what they mean, how quickly the world can change. I mean, just a few weeks ago, we were cheering for the Milwaukee Bucks, looking forward to college basketballs, March Madness, and the beginning of the Major League Baseball season, how quickly the world can change. In just a few weeks of time, I mean, almost every church in America has moved their services online. And parents across America all of a sudden have all become homeschooling parents. And in a surprising twist, teenagers and young adults have now started asking their parents not to go out and stay out late at night. How quickly the world can change. But can I remind you of something that never changes? Hebrews chapter 13 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And I'm clinging on to that promise right now. And I hope you do. As, as well. So I want to get started with a question uh, today. And the question is this, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? That's a question that people keep asking with the coronavirus. I mean, you know, you've seen the news, you've heard the stories, trying to slow down the virus, uh, economy struggling, stock market uh, plunging, shortage of medical supplies, plus toilet paper flying off the shelves, people hoarding water. This is a scary moment for many people. These are unsettling days for, and, and because there's uncertainty about what the weeks and months will, will, ahead will bring to us. So what are we going to do? What are we as the River Glen family going to do? But I think an even better question that we need to wrestle with and maybe the question of the day is, is this question right here. Are we going to live by fear or by faith? Fear is the natural response to a situation like we're going through right now in our country. Fear, we fear the unknown. We fear what we cannot see. But faith is also believing in what you cannot see. Scripture defines faith as the evidence of things unseen. It's interesting. Do you know what is the most repeated command in the entire Bible? It's not one of the Ten Commandments. It's not love God or love your neighbor, although those are the two greatest 
commands. The most repeated command in the entire Bible is fear not. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Fear not are the first words that the angel spoke in the New Testament. And do not be afraid are some of the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. So what are we going to do now? Are we going to live by, by fear or faith? That's a question that God's people called the Israelites had to wrestle with. At one of, the, one of the scariest moments in their history, a moment that I think really applies to the situation that we're going through in our world right now. So today, I want to unpack for you a passage from Exodus chapter 14 from the Old Testament of the Bible that many of you are probably familiar with. Even if you haven't read the Bible, you probably know this story because you, you've seen it in the movie. So here's the scene. The Egyptians held the Israelites captive as slaves for centuries until God steps in he sends 10 plagues and releases the Israelites and the Israelites leave. But Pharaoh has second thoughts and he gathers his Egyptian army together and he sends them to go uh, full force and get the Israelites back. But the Israelites find themselves trapped. They've got this body of water blocking them. It's called the, the Red Sea. The Israelites camped out here with their leader Mo Moses, uh, maybe as many as 2 million Israelites. And so I'm going to represent the uh, Israelites uh, today. And I want you to think about it uh, this way. When the Egyptian army comes, comes after them, I want you, those of you right now that are watching on your phone, your laptop, your television, you're going to represent the Egyptian army and you're coming after me. Okay. And uh, so we're going to have some, some fun with this, but you're probably not going to enjoy the ending uh, quite as, as much. A little spoiler alert uh, there. So the Egyptian army comes after the Israelites and the Israelites begin to hear the sound of the chariots and the horses. And they look up in the sky and they see the dust on the horizon. And they know they're in big trouble. They're afraid. Follow along as I, as I read here. As I start reading in verse, verse 10 of Exodus chapter 14. They were, they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They're afraid. I mean, understandably afraid. I'd be afraid if I were in their shoes. And so they cried out to the, to the Lord. But then they get sarcastic toward their leader, Moses. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Now they start imagining worst case scenarios. And so the Israelites have a very natural human reaction to this situation where their backs are against the wall. Now, if you're a note taker, I hope you'll write down this uh, diagram. It, they, they start with fear. They're full of fear. And then they get sarcastic toward their leader, Moses. And then third, what they start doing is they start imagining these worst case scenarios. Now, I, I, I have to admit, I laughed a little bit uh, because I have a tendency to respond this way to certain situations. My family makes fun of me because of how I respond when I'm watching one of the Green Bay Packer uh, football games. I get scared that the Packers are going to lose and then I start getting sarcastic. You know, maybe the Packers go for it on fourth down and they don't make it. And I'm like, great call coach. And then I start, you know, imagining worst case scenarios. We're going to lose this game. You know, the season's blown. I, I overreact. Sometimes I even turn off the television. But I also respond this way to more important situations. I feel afraid in certain situations. And then I get sarcastic Oh, that was a great decision. You know, when, are, when will our leaders, you know, finally get it together? 
And then I enter this victim mentality and I start uh, imagining these worst case scenarios. And I keep repeating this cycle in, in my head over and over. Fear, sarcasm, worst case scenario. Fear, sarcasm, worst case scenario. But what I've learned uh, is that while this is understandable, it is totally unproductive. And it actually makes things worse. Let's talk for a moment about times when you're afraid. It says in our scripture that the Israelites were terrified. Let me ask you a question. When you're afraid, do you make better or worse decisions? You know, for instance, I mean, do you really think you're gonna need more toilet paper in the coming months and, and weeks ahead than you would normally? You know, some people are, are stockpiling hand sanitizer. Some of us, maybe we have so much hand sanitizer, we could take a bath in that stuff. This comes from the United States Government Peace Corps Manual for its volunteers who work in the Amazon jungle. It's how to react when you're attacked by an anaconda snake. It's the largest snake in the world, up to 35 feet long, and it can swallow animals between three and 400 pounds. So the Peace Corps Manual reads, if you're attacked by an anaconda, don't run. The snake is faster than you are. Lie flat on the ground, put your arms tight against your sides and your legs tight against one, each, tight against one another, Tuck your chin. The snake will begin to nudge and climb over your body. Do not panic. No problem, right? Everybody doing okay so far? After the snake has examined you, it'll begin to swallow you from the feet end. Permit the snake to swallow your feet and ankles. Do not panic. The snake will now begin to suck your legs into its body. You must lie perfectly still. This will take a long time. When the snake has reached your knees, slowly and with as little movement as possible, Reach down take, uh, and take your knife and very gently slide it into the side of the snake's mouth between the edge of its mouth and your leg and then suddenly rip upwards, uh, severing its head. Last point, be sure to have your knife. <laughs> it, it's natural, you know, when your back is against the wall to be afraid. But think about it. Don't, don't we make some of our worst decisions when we're afraid? I mean, you might run from an anaconda when you really need to stay still. What about when we get uh, sarcastic? I want you to look again at the sarcasm of the Israelites toward Moses. In verse 11, it says, they say, was it because there were no graves in Egypt, Moses, that you brought us to the desert to die? I mean, Moses, were there no cemetery plots in Egypt? And so you brought us here to have cheaper funerals? Not a very constructive conversation between leaders and followers. And then they throw in this line, verse, verse 12, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. Moses, didn't we beg you to leave us in Egypt because we had great careers and bright futures? No, not at all. The, the Israelites begged God, they begged Moses to get them out of Egypt. And now they're just being careless and reckless with their words. They start playing the blame game. Something I've learned over the years in friendships in a marriage, in a family, in a church, in a nation, in a crisis. As tempting as it is to get sarcastic when you're afraid, sarcasm, sarcasm just makes things worse. You know, maybe you had uh, business partnerships, you know, you used, you used to be each other's biggest cheerleaders and then times got tough and you started to get sarcastic and blame each other. Maybe you've been part of a family get-together, maybe a holiday family get-together, and somebody said some things, and somebody got sarcastic. And they got up, stormed off, and they slammed the door in 
three plus decades in ministry, I've seen church situations where people get sarcastic with each other, sarcastic with church leaders because things didn't go the way they wanted. Uh, uh, Someone didn't make the decision the way that they would have made it. But how does that help the situation? How is that Christ-like? When you're scared, you tend to get sarcastic and it just compounds the problem. Let's talk about worst case scenarios uh, for a a moment. Maybe some of you are are, are like me and we're professionals at this one. I mean, we take catastrophizing to an art form or maybe you're married to someone who does. The Israelites look at their situation, you know, they're trapped uh, by the Red Sea and by the oncoming Egyptian army and they predict a really bad outcome, a terrible outcome. They say to Moses, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. But nobody's died. At, at this point. You know, you ever lay in bed at night and, and maybe you're worried about something, you're uh, afraid of something and your mind starts, you know, getting creative with different uh, scenarios. Have you ever noticed this? They're never good. <laughs> I mean, because if they're good, then you'd fall asleep, right? Uh, they're, they're bad outcomes, worst case scenarios. Jesus asked one time in Matthew chapter six, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life. Jesus says, worry is unproductive. It doesn't solve the the problem. There are much more positive ways that you can use your energy. So the Israelites feel trapped and afraid. They get sarcastic with Moses. They start imagining these worst case scenarios. We're gonna die. We're gonna die out here. But then Moses puts on a leadership clinic on how to respond in a a crisis. He stands up and he says, time out, everybody. There's a better way. This is not helping. We need a different response than fear. And look at what he says in verse 13. He says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Moses says, we're going to abandon the, the scared, sarcastic, imagining worst case scenarios. We're gonna take a better path. We're gonna make a better response that will help you when your back is against the wall. It starts with a, a fear not mentality. And then, and then we're gonna stand firm and then we're gonna expect God's deliverance. We're gonna expect God's help today. That's what we're gonna do. Fear not, stand firm, expect God's uh, help. Let's talk a little bit about what it means to fear not to not be afraid. Some of you wonder, is that even possible? Uh, To fear not when you're freaked out. I believe it is. I I really uh, believe it is possible to tame those wild, irrational, fearful thoughts that want to flood into your mind and into your soul. You know, as the coronavirus has has spread, it has touched the lives of some people that we're uh, familiar with. For instance, actors Tom Hanks and his wife, Rita Wilson announced that they had the virus, but did they freak out? I mean, did they go, oh no, it's the end of the world. No, no, I like the tweet that he sent out. Hey, hello folks, Rita Wilson and I wanna thank everyone here down under whom are taking such, whom are taking such good care of us. We have COVID-19 and in our isolation, so we do not spread it to anyone else. There are those for whom it could lead to a very serious illness. And then he continues on and he says, we're taking it one day at a time. There are things we can all do to get through this by following the advice of experts and taking care of ourselves and each other. No, remember, despite all the current events, there is no crying 
in baseball, Hanks. Of course, that's back when we had baseball. But how did they stay so calm? You have to prepare yourself. You have to prepare your children to not freak out. I mean, what does a brain surgeon or a heart surgeon do when something unexpected happens in the middle of a surgery? I mean, do they go, oh no, what am I going to do? No, they stay calm. They stay focused. Some of you are or were the parent of a two-year-old, a, a three-year-old, and you know, <laughs> everything's uh, crazy, but you, stay, you stayed calm. You know, you learned how to tame those wild, irrational, fearful thoughts that you have in certain situations. The Apostle Paul said to a young leader named Timothy one time, he said, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity. He didn't give us a spirit of freaking out, no. But a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. With God's spirit in you, with God's help, you can develop the ability to be in a fear not position when you normally would be in a, in a freaked out position. Now, for me, this might not help anybody else, but for me, it, it helps me, it really helps me to write down my fears in a prayer journal. It just makes them seem uh, not as big and overwhelming. And it helps me to write out more, more faith-filled thoughts. And what God does is he takes those fears and he shrinks them down and he helps me to process them. This is something that you can do as, as well. And with our current situation with the virus, I wanna encourage everybody to practice social distancing. Everybody should practice social distancing, but I don't want anybody to practice social isolation. This is a time for the church to be the church. This is a time for us to really, truly love each other and love our neighbors. This is a time for groups, life groups, to band together like never before. If you're not in a group, this is a great time to join one of our online groups. And this is a great time to be reminded that the church is not a building, it's a body of believers. The church is not a place, it's a people. And no virus can contain the church of Jesus Christ, right? For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. And then Moses says, uh, stand firm. Stand firm. That phrase, it means not easily moved. Many years ago, Marnie and I moved up here from Kentucky with uh, two of our kids. Uh, Taylor was three years old. Will was just five months old. We left our jobs and uh, sold our house. And we moved up here to start River Glen Church. But we didn't have any people. And we didn't have a, a, another church that was sending people to help us out. I thought once we moved up here, I'd be able to find lots of people to help us start the church. But I tried and I couldn't. And I mean, I felt uh, overwhelmed, discouraged, uncertain, uncertain. I had faith that God was leading us, but I felt like I had painted our family into a corner. And more than a few times, more than a few moments, I wondered, you know, what if I misread God on this one? What if it fails? How am I going to provide for Marnie and our kids? Where are we going to live? There was a side of me just going down that path of fear, sarcasm, worst case scenarios. But then somebody shared this verse, a mentor shared this verse uh, with me where Jesus promised, Jesus made this promise, I will build my church. And that promise of Jesus, I held on to it. And it helped me to stand firm. And not today, I can see God's plan. I mean, I can see how God brought us to Waukesha, but I couldn't see it then. I just had to stand firm. 
you know, it's easy to trust Jesus and stand firm when everything's going well. Anybody can do that. But faith is built when you stand firm and trust Jesus when things aren't going well. And, you know, many of us are looking at the situation right now in our country and in our world, and we're wondering where things are going. And the advice I want to give you is to stand firm. Maybe some of you are in a personal jam right now and the best advice I can give you is to stand firm. Stand firm in your belief that Jesus is your living hope. Stand firm in your belief that you can let go of fear because Jesus won't let go of you. This positions you for God to do something really good. Stand firm. And then lastly, expect God's help. Expect God's help. I've heard it said this way that when you're afraid, what you really believe about God is revealed. When you're afraid, what you really believe about God is revealed. When you feel stress and pressure and overwhelmed, when you feel like your back is against the wall, you really have two options. You can live in fear and go, oh no, I'm in such, a, such big trouble and God doesn't care, God can't do anything. Or you can drop to your knees and say, at least I know God's with me. God's for me. God will never let go of of me. And God has a track record of helping out his children when they're stuck in a jam. So I'm going to expect God to help. But have you ever noticed something in this story about the Israelites? God never tells the Israelites that he's going to part the sea. He never says, hey, Israelites, you know, I'm going to open up the Red Sea for you. No, he just tells them to stand firm, which makes this challenging for us because it shows us that God has a tendency to wait for us to stand firm first. God has this tendency to wait for us to choose faith first before he supernaturally intervenes. And so the Israelites are trapped and freaking out. They're they're, uh, imagining worst case scenarios and sarcastic and they're scared. But Moses stands up and he says, I'm taking a different path. You can believe what you want about God but I'm choosing to believe that God is gonna deliver us today. I like what verse 15 says. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. God says, tell the Israelites to quit talking about it. Quit praying about it. Quit being afraid. Stop uh, imagining worst case scenarios. Stop being sarcastic. Just move on. Just, Just take a step toward what you're afraid of, but do it in faith. And so the Israelites step into the water of the Red Sea, uh, not knowing what God will do. And God performs one of the most breathtaking miracles in all of history. God sends a wind, the wind pushes the water back, it creates these walls of water, and it opens up a path through the Red Sea. All All two million Israelites walk through the very thing they feared, and they make it safely to the other side. And think about this, God didn't say, you know, to the Israelites, you know, go around the Red Sea. And he didn't build a bridge for them to go over the Red Sea. He didn't build a tunnel for them to go under the Red Sea. He didn't give them a boat to go across. God took them through it. And you probably know the rest of the story. The Egyptian army races into the Red Sea, coming after them to recapture them as slaves. But about halfway into the Red Sea, God causes the walls of water to collapse. And a terrible judgment falls on the Egyptians. But the Israelites make it to the other side safely and they're going can you believe what God did for us 
Can you believe that he made walls of, of water to get us out of our jam? Now, why do you think God did this for the Israelites? I think God did it this way so that they would learn to choose faith over fear. And this is a lesson for us today as well. So what are we gonna do now? River Glenn, I wanna challenge you. Don't take the scared, sarcastic, worst case scenario path, okay? This is unproductive. Uh, this just makes things worse. River Glenn, I wanna challenge you to take the path that Moses talked about that starts out with a fear, a fear not mentality. And we're gonna do that day by day so that we can stand firm. And then we're gonna expect God's help. We're gonna expect God to act on our behalf. Let me, let me ask you, which one of those paths are you on? And if you're on the fear path, are you willing to move to the fear not path? Because River Glen, this is really our time to truly be the church and do what God's called us to do to make more and better followers of Jesus. So keep inviting, keep loving, keep serving, keep giving. We're not gonna shrink back or hide or run. run. Let's seize this moment and advance the church and move forward accomplishing the mission that Jesus has for us. And, and not just as a church, but as individuals and in our families. I challenge you as I challenge myself to choose to fear not and stand firm and expect God to help us. Why wouldn't we believe that God would part the waters for us? Now, rather than just talking about choosing fear over faith, I wanna invite us to do something together. I wanna do a prayer exercise with you where, where you say, okay, God, I don't know the future, but I'm gonna put my life in the hands of the one who holds the future and that's you. I'm gonna ask you, wherever you are right now, if you would bow your head with me and I'm gonna lead us in a moment of extended prayer. Throughout the centuries, followers of Jesus have, have come up with different prayer exercises and I came across one that's called a breathing uh, prayer. And I wanna invite you right now, just take a deep breath, take a deep breath in and imagine you're breathing in the presence of God. And then I want you to exhale and ex imagine you're exhaling all the fear, anxiety, and worry that you carry with you. Just breathe in and breathe out. One of the best ways to displace fear is to focus on who God is. And so what I'm gonna do is you breathe in the presence of God and breathe out fear. I'm gonna go through the alphabet and pray many of the great characteristics of God to help us focus on how great and how big God really is. So let me pray for us. God, you are awesome. Someone who can part seas. God, you are big. You care even when we cry out in fear like the Israelites did. You deliver us from all our fears. You are everlasting, you never change. You're forgiving, you're gentle. You help us, there's no one like you. God, you are incredible. Our minds cannot begin to comprehend your size and strength. God, you're just and kind. God, you're love, you're merciful, you're near, closer to us than the air that we breathe. God, you overcome everything. God, you're full of peace. You never quit working on our behalf. God, you're real. I pray that you become more real to us. God, you're sovereign in complete control. 
God, you're true, you're unchanging. And Jesus, you're victorious. You made a way for us by conquering the grave. And God, I thank you for your wisdom. You said if we need wisdom to ask for it and God, we need it right now. And God, you have x-ray vision. It's the only X word I could think of. You see us for who we really are and you love us anyway. God, you yearn for a relationship with each one of us. And God, I thank you for being so zealous for us. Father, as we walk through such uncertain times, it is, it is just so easy for us to be afraid and overreact and play out worst case scenarios in our minds. I just pray that we would have the courage to take a different path, the fear not path. God, would you help us to stand firm on your promises and to lean into you and expect you to help us. You can part seas and if you can part seas, you can provide and do everything that we need as we walk through this together. Thank you, God, that we can gather in this way and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.